Have your eyes on scripture. Follow along with us. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority in their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Westside. We are glad that you're here today, and we are starting in a new portion of the season that we're in. I just want to take a quick moment, though. I um, highly underestimate and sometimes take for granted what is corporate worship and to sing together. And if anything, uh, the two songs that just took place were for me this morning. Anybody else? And I just want to show our worship team just some love this morning and just appreciation for leading us in a time of worship. Thank you guys very much, very much. Um, his name was Nicholas Copernicus, and some of you might know this, but it was around the year 1507 to 1515 that he stepped onto the pages of history. And he stepped onto the pages of history by literally um, daydreaming. <laughs> That's what he was doing. He spent weeks and months watching the sun rise and the sun set and then the way that the stars rotated outside. And he made one of the most ghastly, provocative claims of his day. And he did that by drawing a map of what was known of our solar system at the time. And it's this map. And the reason why this map is so controversial is because Nicholas Copernicus, drawing from other people, there's a little bit of controversy there, but drawing from other people said that the earth was not at the center of the known universe that we were in, but rather the sun was at the center of the universe at that time. And that was such a provocative claim because everybody leading up to that point, generally speaking, scientists, astrologers, everybody said that the earth was in the center of everything because why not, right? That just sort of makes sense. But as he watched the stars and the sun rise and the sun set, he said, no, 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 no. There is an orbit. There's some things taking place. I mean, think about that. He didn't even have Google. I mean, like, this is some serious stuff, right? No iPhone or anything like that. And this was such a provocative claim. Um, and that 
is a great illustration of what it is to become a Christian. Um, that, that you are not at the center of your universe. But rather, your life orbits around the person and the work and the grand story that God is writing that is found in Jesus Christ. That your marriage, that your job, that your life, that your suffering, that everything that is taking place orbits around Jesus Christ. Now, we know that to be true in our head, and we wholeheartedly amen that. But a journey that we've been on this year is practically making that a reality in our day-to-day life. And in such a day-to-day life that we are saying that the calendar that is literally forced upon us in our everyday life, um, in a way we're almost resisting that and we're saying, no, 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 that our life so practically revolves around Jesus Christ that as a church we're saying that the calendar of the church is going to revolve around the life of Jesus Christ. And so just as a quick review, we started that in in Advent, right? Um, Anticipating the arrival of Jesus and the angst. It's in the darkest time of the year, yet we light candles and there's Christmas lights. And then that led us into the celebration of the Christmas season. That it's not just this, this one day thing, but rather that when we look historically that the 12 days of Christmas long before that weird song and this, that, and the other, that Christians feasted and celebrated for such a long time. And then we have just walked through the season of Epiphany, where it started with literally the star that led the wise men to Jesus. And then last Sunday, it ended with Jesus shining like a star himself in the transfiguration. And then now we're we're led into the season of Lent, which now we're going to enter into the temptation and the death of Jesus which then leads us into the Easter season, which is about the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, does anybody else in here, like it's okay that when we sing bursting from the grave in glory, like in the glorious light, it's okay to go nuts on that part, okay, right? I mean, you guys go nuts when the cardinals do their thing, okay? Like when Jesus um, conquers death and sin and hell, we can get a little excited about that, okay? Even if you grew up Baptist, that's all right. It's okay, Westside can be Bapticostal or something like that. I don't know, all right? I just want us to get excited about Jesus. That's what I want us to get excited about. And then after Easter, we celebrate the Ascension and then Pentecost, which is the spirit of Jesus birthing the church. And so as we enter into this season that is known as Lent, this is new for us as a church. And listen, just just all cards on the table. Um, Maybe you grew up and and, and all of this is new. That's awesome. You're not forced to participate into anything. And just to shoot down some arguments, you know, some of you might have Googled like, well, Lent ain't in the Bible, preacher. Okay, right? Um, Neither is Christmas. We good? We're going to start the sermon? I can keep going angrier. If we're good there, we're good, right? Mother's Day isn't either. Are we okay? All right. Here's, here, here's what we see. We see historically that, that early Christians realized that, that our life now revolves around Jesus. And, and to literally live differently than the rest of the world, their life revolved around Jesus. And here's what they saw. They saw mass converts of Christians getting baptized and then what? Then going back to their regular everyday life. That literally almost nothing changed in the day-to-day of their life. And so what they saw was let, our, let the church revolve around the life of Jesus. So, so just really jelly on the bottom shelf. The word Lent or the Lenten season literally just means spring, springtime. 
which is the season that we're entering into. And one of the first times that it's ever recorded, really what we see written down, is around the Council of Nicaea, which is the gift that we get of the Nicaean Creed, very God from God, very light from light, which is what we historically believe about the divinity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus was fully God, 100% God. Hey, you know what your kids learned last week in Kidside? Your kids learned last week in Kidside that Jesus is God in a bod. (laughs) We're learning deep theology, okay? Listen, we're not interested in babysitting your kids, okay? Here's what we are interested in, teaching them about Jesus Christ. And so a fully 100% God, but also 100% human being at the same time. And so what we see now entering into this season is also what we see a change in the Gospels. That literally in the life of Jesus, we followed from his birth. That was the greatest birth announcement ever, no matter what your Instagram little deal did with the color fireworks and all that stuff. Jesus had angels announce his birth, okay? Awesome. And then Epiphany, where he's doing these miracles. And what we learned is that God is like Jesus, That we don't have to guess what God is like, but we look to the Son to know what the Father is like. But now something changes in the Gospels. Literally, we've just been walking through the Gospel of Luke. And we see this phrase that happens in Luke chapter 9. It says this, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. But the people did not receive him Because his face was set towards Jerusalem. I love the way the old King James says it. Do you remember it? That he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. That Jesus has a mission. That he was born to die. At this point now in the Gospels, in all of the recorded Gospels, Jesus does not hang back in towns for a long duration of time. Remember him being at uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house? That he literally stayed there to heal every single person. But now we see him say phrases like, I must go to Jerusalem. I must go to Jerusalem. Because he's going there for Passover feast and ultimately he's going there to die. And so during this season, what we're seeing is literally a practical example of how can our life revolve around journeying with Jesus? And then how can we answer this call in Luke chapter 9? And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We all know this verse, right? Very practical verse. I mean, we all went to the church camp and like, we're like, I'm going to do this and like all that deny, 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 deny. And like what you ended up doing was you focused so much on denying yourself that you ended up with just more of yourself. Like it was just like a me, me, I got to stop. I got to me, me, me. How can we practically journey with Jesus? Pick up what it is like cross. What does that even mean? I mean, that's like the equivalent of saying, hey, if anybody wants to follow me, pick up your execution chamber. Pick up the gas chamber and follow me. Anybody down? Right. What does that even mean? To deny ourselves and pick up our cross and and to follow this this Jesus on this journey. Well, listen, here's here's what we're going to learn today. It's this. That the season of Lent leads us to the center of Christianity, which is a cross. 
this season of Lent, of, of the temptation and the death and the denying and the following this Christ who gives this invitation leads us to the center and the core of what it is to be a Christian, which is the cross. Just, just by a show of hands, um, and, and maybe you don't want to or you can't, it's okay. Is, is anybody wearing any sort of cross jewelry today? Just anybody? Yeah. Super predominant, right? Do you understand what that would have been in Jesus' day? It'd be like wearing an uh, electric chair around your neck or something like that. I mean, this is a symbol of, of torture, defeat, humiliation, but now Christians are marked by the cross. This is, this is the symbol that we have adopted to say, this is who we are. And I love what John Stott says in his book, The Cross of Christ. And if there's a book that you want to read this Lenten season, I would highly recommend this. He says this, It was by his death that he wished above all else to be remembered. There is then, it is safe to say, no Christianity without the cross. If the cross is not central to our religion, ours is not the religion that Jesus gave the invitation to follow. This is profound for us. And so leading up, leading up to Easter, what we see is, is these 40 days of preparation. So historically, it starts on Ash Wednesday, this past Wednesday, uh, where, where people remember their mortality from the dust you were created and to the dust you shall return. Like nobody on that day is like, man, I'm awesome. You're dust, Okay. And we remember that type of mortality. But here's the cool thing about the 40 days of leading up is that on Sundays, it's considered a feast day. That, that, that you don't enter in and we're going to learn about denying and fasting and all of that today. But on Sundays, it's a feast day. Why? Because literally we celebrate that this is the first day of the week that Jesus rose from the grave. That we celebrate on this day. So if this season leads us to the center of Christianity, which is the cross, what do we need to learn today? Well, historically, the passage that is read is the temptation that you just heard. It's interesting. Before Jesus does any public miracle, before Jesus does anything, he is prepared and tempted in a wilderness where he goes face to face with the enemy. Why? Well, Jesus is, is literally retelling and reliving the entire story of Israel. I mean, the number 40 is extremely significant in the scriptures. The 40 years of wondering. Moses with the 40 days. Jesus here with the 40 days of fasting. The wilderness in the scriptures. Listen, oh, this is such good news. Please don't miss this. The wilderness in the scriptures is always a place of preparation. Listen, do you feel like that you are alone and in a dark place that is a wilderness. Then listen, I come bearing good news today. I come bearing good news that the wilderness is not a lost place. But the wilderness is a place that God is very present in. Very present in. Because we have to. We have to pass through the wilderness. We have to go to the cross before we can ever celebrate the resurrection. So over these next Sundays, we're going to learn these principles of what it is to lead us and guide us in this journey. And today I want to focus just on two simple things, which is this. Fasting and feasting. Just two very simple things. 
fasting and feasting. We see here in Luke chapter 4, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Like we, we learned when we compared and contrasted the wilderness and Jesus' baptism that even when we just prayed earlier, Holy Spirit, come and lead us. And then, like most of the time for us as Christians, when the Spirit of God comes and leads us, we're like, whoa, 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 bro. Where you, where you, trying, to, you trying to lead me into that conversation with that family member? No. No, I love Jesus, okay? I love Jesus. They need Jesus, but I love Jesus, okay? I am not trying to go there. I am not trying to... And it just goes to show that, that we almost literally don't even know what it's like to follow Jesus. Because what I'm realizing, the more and more that I follow him, he wants to lead me into the places that I'm the most afraid of. You know why? Because once I'm in the place that I'm the most afraid of, it's almost like Jesus taps me on the shoulder and says, what else is left? What else is left? I'm here with you now. That the Spirit led him into the wilderness. And it says that, that for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And they were ended, and he was hungry. Yeah, duh, right? Like, what's the point of that? Well, again, it's, it's the humanity and, and the divinity that we see going there. We see that, that Jesus is, is fasting in preparation. Now, in the Old Testament, there's a number of times that fasting is mentioned. But in the New Testament alone... In the New Testament alone, fasting is mentioned over 30 times. So here's what I want to do. I just want to help some of us out. I want to look at what fasting isn't, what it is, how we can do it, and look at some of the resources that we have to be able to help you in this journey, okay? So the first thing is this, um, what fasting is not, all right? And this is probably going to make some of you angry, but welcome to Westside. Happy Sunday, okay? The first thing that fasting is not is this. Fasting is not harming of the body to please God. That is known as aestheticism, okay? Where, where this idea of this is bad, this body is bad, and the more that I punish this and do this, the more that it pleases God. The Apostle Paul would say later on in the New Testament that there were some false teachers that taught that, and they beat themselves, and literally Paul says it gains them nothing before God. One of the reasons why we believe that we should take care of our bodies is, I don't know, because um, God put on a body. Oh, I'm not supposed to preach that one right now. I'm sorry. Okay. All right, we'll just continue on. But it's not this idea of harming our bodies in order to please God. One of the things that we talk about all the time at Westside is this. What I do is not nearly as important as why I do it. So when it comes to praying, reading your Bible, why you came today, did we come today because in hopes that we could ease our guilt to think that God would love us more? Or did we come today to be drawn by the very love of God, knowing that he already loves us in Christ? That is a profound difference. So it's not this thing to please God. The second thing is this. It's not magic to make God move. Okay? It, this is not a bargain. It's not like, okay, I'm going to fast for seven days, and then, God, you're going to tell me if I'm going to buy the house or not. Right? Or I'm going to fast for seven days and then I'll get, right? This is like the price is right. Like what? Like what? 
It's not this, listen, that's witchcraft, okay? Like, that's crazy talk. There's nothing that we do to conjure up God. God is always and actively present all the time. The question is, are you aware of it or not? That's the question. And then the third thing is this. Um, it's not a guarantee for answered prayers. Again, that is manipulation. This, like, this is not Aladdin here. This is Christianity. We're not rubbing a genie and trying to get God to do things. And, and, and so please let that be a burden lifter from your head. What, what is this then? What is fasting? Well, here's the definition I want to work with. It's this. Fasting is the spiritual discipline of abstaining from a physical appetite in order to increase your spiritual appetite. Not like, more than that, for sure. Fasting can be way more than that. But listen, I don't think it's any less than that from what I see. I don't think it's any less than that. And one of the things that, that we're doing is we have what's called a Lent guide out here in the lobby. And we have a limited number of these. These are $5. They cost us 7 to make it. We're not making any money. But what this does is it gives you some suggestions, uh, suggestions on some physical appetites and things like that to abstain from during this season. It also has, at the beginning of the week, it's got a prayer for you. It has a passage from the Gospel of Luke that we're walking through. And then it also has some uh, scriptures for you to read throughout the week. And so practically, what does this look like? It looks like that we're going to choose either a time or something that we will deny ourselves, And in place of that, we're going to learn in just a minute, we're going to feast on something. Because what, what I get so burdened about during this season is, is that it's all about what you're always giving up and what I'm doing for God and all of that. Listen, all of this is not about what you're doing for God. It's what God has done for us in Christ. That's the whole point of everything that we do. And so it's this idea of, of denying this physical appetite in order to increase this spiritual appetite. Why? Because Jesus said it. Um, blessed are those. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. Hey, question. I asked myself this this week. When's the last time that you hungered and thirst for righteousness? Here's what I asked myself this week, and this is not to guilt you. I asked myself this week, God, when have I physically desired your presence like I have physically desired my next meal? Because when I read the Psalms, because as the deer pants for the water, oh, my soul longs for you. Day and night, I meditate upon the precepts and the law of God because it is a refuge for my own soul. When have I felt that literally that it interrupted my entire day? Because listen, the problem is not trying to get God to be closer in my life. Here's the problem is I'm already satisfied in my life. I'm already satisfied. I'm already satisfied with the food and the clothing and the everyday entertainment and every second of everything that I gorge myself with in my life. And so much so that, that this season just comes along as the spiritual discipline to almost jar us awake. 
I love what Wilbur Reese said. Wilbur Reese was a pastor and, and wrote this in his book called $3 Worth of God. I've read it before, but this is profound. He says this, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Oh, no, sir, not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. You see, I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant worker. You see, I want ecstasy not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not the pain of a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. You see, preacher, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. That's me sometimes. If there's ever anything to describe the Western church, it is I want the comfort of the womb and not the pain of a new birth. But for ye to enter into the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And so as we journey into the core of this, we see that one of the things that we can do is, is fasting, which is to deny this physical appetite and replace it to increase a spiritual appetite. So how do we do that? Practically, how do we do that? I'm so glad that you asked because Jesus tells us, okay? It's probably good news when Jesus tells us, right? And so in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is concerned about why people are doing what they're doing, and he changes everything. And he says this, And when you fast, did you pick up on that? Right? We could just preach the whole sermon there. I mean, did Question, just, all right, this is a softball for you, all right? So if you miss this, it's angry for the rest of the sermon, all right? Did Jesus, did Jesus expect the people that followed him to fast? Let us continue. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. That's like, some of the best sarcasm ever, right? Bill, are you fasting? Yep. Well, there's Bill's reward. Great. Verse 17, but when you fast, when you fast, my followers, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. Here's what Jesus is asking. Are you willing to do something that gains you no external reward? Because that's what I'm asking. Not about what you're doing. I'm concerned about why you are doing it. So practically, what does this look like? Well, the first thing I think Jesus says is this. Um, forget about other people. Forget about other people. Don't do it like the hypocrites because they're the ones who walk around and they disfigure their faces and they do all these things and they say these... So practically, what does that look like today? Well, that looks like... And by the way, let's be real practical. Don't like tomorrow be like, I'm fasting from coffee and then go around and almost kill people all day long, okay, right? Like that's why the guide is there to practically guide you into some of this. But here's what... Oh gosh, here's what we don't need. We don't need you being mean to everybody around you and them going, what's going on? And you going, I'm fasting for God. Because <laughs> that's dumb, okay? Do not do that. 
Also, do not do the Christian um, name drop thing. Hey, you want to go out to eat with us? We're eating for dinner. No, I'm good. I can't. Oh, are you okay? Is everything all right? Yeah, well, you know, I'm just fasting for the Lord, brother. But you guys go ahead. You guys go ahead and enjoy that meal. I'm fasting. But you guys have fun. You know what I mean? Like, what? Don't forget about other people, okay? What you do is not as important as why you do it. And then the second thing is this. Forget about yourself. (laughs) Because it's not about you. What does Jesus say? Wash your face. Anoint your head. Do you know what that was preparation for back in his day? A wedding. It's a celebration. Anoint your head. Wash your face. Let this season make us better. And it's not the focus of, I'm denying myself, I'm denying myself, I'm denying myself, I'm denying myself, because all you're doing is thinking about yourself. And that's literally the reverse of what Jesus is saying. So what do we do? Well, we deny we deny ourselves in order to supply ourselves. See, listen, it's not just about fasting. It's about feasting. Because what does Jesus do in our text? Matthew records the very first thing that the devil asks. Here it is. If you don't think, listen, look at me. If you don't think physical appetites is a theology and a systematic theology all through the scriptures, then you need to read your Bible. Because as Eve saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eye and good to eat and able to make one wise, the very first temptation was one of the flesh. As the Apostle Paul would say later on in the book of Romans, for now the world, their God is their stomach. That whatever they crave, they indulge themselves with. And what does the enemy do? Verse 3. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. That is a temptation of the, of the flesh, of an appetite. Jesus was hungry 40 days. But Jesus is the greater Adam. And he resists the temptation. And what does Jesus say? Verse 4, And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And then what does Matthew tell us? But every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So here's the key this season. To deny ourselves of an appetite that might have control over us in order to supply ourselves with a greater spiritual appetite and to feast on what it is to really know the very words of God. Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. The season of Lent is about giving up lesser loves in order to receive God's greater love. That's the whole point. The whole point. It's about giving up lesser loves in order to receive God's greater loves. And how we can practically apply verses like Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. And then look at this verse. The lions may grow weak and hungry. What? The lions? They're the king of the jungle. The lions feast. The lions rule and reign. The lions could never go hungry. But the psalmist says the lions will grow hungry. But those who seek the Lord, they lack no good thing. So the season of Lent leads us to the center of Christianity, which is a cross. So in closing, I want us to understand something. You can pick up the guide. 
You can schedule a day of the week or something that you will deny yourself in order to supply yourself with the very words of God. But why? Why? Listen, I'm so interested in the why for us as a church. Because literally Jesus said, the way of the cross is defeat. And listen, I had to pray for faith to even say this to you because you won't even believe it. That Jesus says, when you follow me, it's the way of humility and defeat is the way of the cross. And literally what he says is this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus said, in order for life to happen, there has to be death. So the relationship that you're wrestling with, there's a part of you that's going to have to die. The thing that we're wrestling with and the burden that we're begging God and why is that there? There's a part of us that dies. And when that happens, it's like a seed that falls into the ground and germinates. And when the death happens, it breaks forth the doorway into life. So here's what we have for you for this Lenten season. That when you come up and partake in communion today, there's, there's some packets of some flower seed. One per family. We have a limited number of them. And here's what we want you to do. We want you to plant one of those seeds somewhere in your house, outside, whatever. Where you see it is the whole point. And just like we used to light candles in Advent and every day sort of remember this and let our life revolve around the life of Jesus, I want you to put it somewhere, water it, do all of that. But every day you see that, every day you see that, I want you to ask two questions, two questions. It's this, what lesser love is dying in me? What lesser love is dying in me? God, this had such a control on my life, but through this spiritual discipline of seeking you, this lesser love is dying. But that's not it. That's not it. It's not just fasting. It's also feasting. So the second question is this. What greater love is growing in me? What greater love is growing in me? Because in order for there to be life, there has to be the death. So Westside, let us stand to our feet as we humbly come to the table and see the elements. Let us lift our voices and pray how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you humbly today. And only by the power of your spirit that led you, Jesus, into the wilderness do we enter in. Oh, this season is going to be scary and it's going to be tough. And if we really wholly trust you, that there is parts of us that will have to die. But we do not die without hope. For we know that when we lose those lesser loves, we gain the greater love that it is to know our Heavenly Father. 
We do not do this, God, so that you will love us, but it is because that your love leads us to repentance. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us as we believe that bondage will be broken, that chains will shatter, and that love will grow. And that will grow in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things.